from Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's word. Good morning. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. I'm going to set this up. This, my pack turned red a little bit ago. This is, and so I don't know if the batteries are dying. It was red when I was sitting down. It's green right now because I turned it off. So I'm going to set this up so that if I go quiet in the middle of the sermon, Ben will hit a button and I'll just keep going. Okay? That's what we'll do. And that way, if a uh, because if I'm, I'm loud enough that I don't even really need a microphone. But there are people listening to the recording later. And that recording won't come through if I don't go through a microphone. So that's what we're trying to do here. Sorry. Well, with that, let's turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, we're picking up in verse 24. We worked through the last 23 verses last time. As we started talking about what it looks like for Jesus to return. As Jesus was teaching on those things of what it means for him to, to come back and the signs of the end of the age and, and all these confusing things that there's a lot of disagreement in with even within Orthodox Christianity. People who love God, love the Bible, will have slight disagreements on when uh, certain events may take place or what might happen around them. And what we want to say is we want to keep the main thing the main thing, that these passages were in, to Mark's audience, were in the, to the John's audience when he wrote the book of Revelation, ultimately messages of hope. They're messages of hope that Jesus was in fact coming back. These are people who were highly persecuted in that time. And they were people who are struggling and they need to know the truth that Jesus is going to come back and things aren't always going to be this difficult and this hard. And what we don't want to do today, just like we handled last week, is we don't want to get caught up so much in the details and the little things that we disagree on that we miss the big picture of what all Christians agree on. All Christians agree that Jesus is in fact coming back, that he is raising bodily, and that is really, really good news. It is news filled with hope. In fact, I wanted to start off this morning by just reading from the Redemption Hill Statement of Faith, Article 22, that deals with these things. It talks about the judgment. And this is what we believe. It says, we believe in the personal 
visible return of Christ to earth and the establishment of his kingdom. God has appointed a day where he will judge the world by Jesus Christ when everyone shall receive according to his deeds. The wicked shall go into everlasting and conscious punishment and the righteous into everlasting life. That's the big umbrella that everybody needs to fit in. We're allowed to disagree on the really fine-tuned, difficult kind of things that come around this, and that's okay. It's good. We were uh, shooting some top golf earlier uh, this week, disagreeing with each other on these kind of things, sitting around, talking about it, but it was good and refining and helpful conversation, and that's an okay thing. And we want to say that from the get-go as we tackle passages like this that we don't want to miss the main thing. What is Jesus very, very clearly teaching? And if I could teach anything, how do we deal with really difficult passages? Passages like today where stars are falling from the sky. What does that mean? How do we deal with that? Then one thing you want to do is you want to first deal with what's really, really clear in the passage and let that inform you of what's maybe not so clear about the passage, right? So you get to the book of Revelation and then a dragon is chasing a woman through a forest and water is pouring out of his mouth. Like, don't start with that one right? Start with what happens in that passage where Jesus tells you who the dragon is. It's, it's, it can be easier than that. There's a way to interpret the Bible where we don't fit, start off with what's the dragon. We start off with Jesus is coming back. We start off with what it is telling us really explicitly and easily. And that's what we want to do as we dive into this passage today. We're going to start with what's really obvious, And what's really obvious about this passage is actually what was obvious about last week's passage. And that's this, be on guard. Stay awake is how Jesus says it this time. And he says it several times at the end, stay awake because he's coming back. So that's the title of our message this morning is stay awake, hope is coming. That's what we need to do. Stay on guard and know that hope is coming. With that, let's read our passage in its entirety so we can digest this together. Mark chapter 13 verses 24 through 37. Jesus says this, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and pulls, puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows which is why we can have some disagreement. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. We want to stay awake and stay on guard. Why? Because hope is coming. 
And hope is not just something frivolous that we think about. It's not an idea or a state of mind. Hope is a person. Hope is coming and hope is coming because his name is Jesus. Jesus is coming back. And that's what this passage clearly teaches us. And that's what we want to start. And we want to see first that hope is coming with power and glory. As we look at verses 24 through 27. It says, but in those days... After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So we see from this passage is it seems that Jesus is talking about his coming to the earth. I would take this passage as saying he's talking about his second coming. He's telling us what it's gonna be like. So it's not necessarily signs of his coming, but rather this is what the event will be like when he actually comes for that second time. It says, but in those days, and that will happen after the tribulation that's talked about in the previous verses, right? So the, those previous verses that we talked about last week, we talked about a, tribul- a tribulation that would be worse than anything until creation, until now, and there'll never be anything like it again. But after that tribulation, so whether, whatever you think that to be, we can say Jesus is coming after that. And Jesus is coming after that tribulation and the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now we start dealing with things like stars falling and the moon going out and all that stuff. And we can take that to be a literal thing. Like Jesus is coming back as this cosmic event. And when he comes back, the old things are passing away. And I'll show you a passage later here in Second Peter where I don't think that's a crazy thing to think. I think taking that literally is a pretty good thing. Or we can take it figuratively because to the, this Roman audience that Mark is writing to and to these people, stars and cosmic powers are often associated with their pantheon of false gods. We can think of Roman gods are named like Mars as the god of war. They're named after these planets. They're named, so like the astrology has this huge part to play. And maybe Mark is just saying, listen, when Jesus comes back, these other gods, they're going to look pitily. They won't give their light. This moon won't shine anymore. And the stars are going to fall because nothing compares to Jesus. Or it's literal. When Jesus comes back, the heavens are going to start to shake and fall. And it's going to be this huge cosmic event. But it's okay because Jesus is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. New earth. But here's what's so awesome. You stand here or there. You agree on the thing that matters. What matters? Jesus is better than everything else. So whether you say, hey, he's just talking figuratively to this Roman-based audience and Jesus is better than all these other false gods and Jesus will reign supreme over all of them. Or you say, I think he's talking literally, the next part tells us, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And here's what I think is happening if you take that literally, and I think it's pretty cool, but it's what it looks like. Is what it's saying is the literal stars from heaven can fall and you won't care because you're going to see the Son of Man coming in power and glory. His glory is so great, it will eclipse the heavens being destroyed. The sun no longer giving light, the moon no longer giving light, and the stars falling from the sky will be something you see, but then your attention will be moved away from those things and to the Son of Man coming in the power and glory and coming in the clouds. And coming in the clouds is Old Testament language that we see all throughout the Old Testament of the glory and presence of God himself. 
right? They're led by a pillar of cloud, the Israelites in the Old Testament. And they know that's the presence of God with them. We see in other apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament, this language of God coming in the clouds in the book of Daniel. And I think it is clearly showing us that the power, the very presence of God is associated with Jesus. So when Jesus says this, and in a chapter, they go to crucify him because he claims to be God. Make no mistake, he's claiming to be God. He's saying, when I come back, I'm going to come in the presence of the clouds. I'm going to come with the thing that symbolizes, and we've always known, is God himself coming back. And I'm going to come with great power and great glory. Now that's pretty glorious, right? No matter how you take that. Whether that is he is tearing down every false ideology and all false gods that have ever existed, and he is better and greater than all those things, or he is so great and so phenomenal that even the skies could fall and my attention would be drawn to him, that is glory and hope is coming with power and with glory. And I think we see the next part. We see the extreme power that Jesus comes with. And it says, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. I think he's using language that's helping us say, where is he going to gather his elect from? Well, we just read it when Kendall read that earlier, right? Every tribe, nation, all over the world. There is nowhere where the gospel will not have impacted and there won't be people who know him. There will be Christians from every corner of the earth, no matter how far the wind might go, from the top of the heavens to the earth below, and from every corner of the earth, there will be people who know Jesus. We see that Jesus has been expanding his kingdom since his ascension. He has been sending people out all over. In fact, we saw that earlier in in verse 10 of chapter 13. He tells us that these things will be happening that the persecutions, the earthquakes, the famines, all those things. Why? And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations in verse 10. So what is happening here? I believe Jesus is telling us is the one who has scattered is also going to be the one who gathers them back. We talked about that last week, that God has used wars historically to scatter the gospel throughout the world. And we even see that we're seeing that right now in places like Poland that are very unchristianized. Ukraine was more Christianized. And you have Ukrainians who can speak Russian being poured into Poland. And you're starting to see churches being planted in Poland with people who speak Russian. And we didn't know that would happen, but God does know that would happen. That kind of thing has happened all throughout uh, history where wars will come in and it will spread Christians out. We've also seen opposite things. Wars in North Africa and highly Muslim context will take Muslims who will never hear the gospel and it scatters them and spreads them into countries that do have a greater presence of the gospel. And people hear about Jesus. And we talked about it last week. And we see that with famines do the same kind of thing. We see that with persecution all in the book of Acts. The church gets persecuted in Jerusalem and so they scatter throughout the world. And so what I believe that is happening is Jesus is saying it is God's intention, God's plan was to scatter his people all throughout the world and they would proclaim the gospel to every tribe and nation. But he's saying, listen, this place is not our home, but you're not homeless. And he's scattering all over and abroad. And then he's promising, when I come back, I will gather them all to myself. That our scattering is a temporary scattering. 
We pray for missionaries every week here at our church. My siblings are a part of that. Ben's siblings are a part of that. And as families of people who send, we have to tell you, sending is really, really hard. It's really hard to not meet your nephew. It's really hard to do these things, but we have to take hope because hope is coming and hope says, I who have scattered them abroad for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to gather them back together. We are spoiled because now we can actually see and talk to these people on devices and it's amazing, but you know missionaries used to pack their coffins Because when they went and they got scattered, they were saying, I'll see you again, brother and sister, mom and dad. But I'll only see you again when Jesus returns and he will gather those who he has scattered to the four winds and he will gather those who he has scattered to the ends of the earth. When we plant churches and scatter just even across the city, it is really, really hard. When you do this right and you do this healthy, it hurts on that last Sunday with your old church as you say, I'm gonna go and start a new church. But we do that knowing that we can be scattered because Jesus is promising to bring us back. Even when we model this, like things like multiplying community groups. I was the community group director at our last church for a little bit. And we would see growth and expansion. And I would be so excited because we're going to start these new groups, yada, yada, yada. And every single time, I would have to deal with the fact, what do you mean you're splitting my group up? You can't be splitting our group up. I love these people. I know. I know you love these people. But there are lost people in this neighborhood right near. And no one is preaching the gospel to them. And I know it's really, really hard. But yeah, we're going to scatter you. So you might go start another small group in this part of town and we can see more people come to know Jesus. When we do this model, it's because we want to train you to see what it looks like to do this at smaller and larger and larger levels. So whether that is breaking up your small group, breaking up churches, or even scattering people to the ends of the earth, We're doing it knowing that Jesus is promising to gather us back to himself. We have to remember in this world that this world is not our home, but we also need to remember we are not homeless. Jesus has gone before us and he is preparing many mansions for us because one day he's gonna gather us to himself and we're all gonna be surrounded around the sun. That is Jesus. And we're gonna have a giant family reunion and it is gonna be awesome. And that's the promise that Jesus is making to us as Christians is we can live faithfully no matter what comes because we know that he's coming back because we know that he's gonna draw us back to each other. The one who has scattered us for his glory is also going to gather us for his glory. This is a promise from Jesus. It's a promise that will be fulfilled and it is filled with tremendous amount of hope. We also need to see that hope is not only coming, but it is coming soon. Verse 28, it says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not...
went. And so, can you hear me now? All right. Until all of these things take place, I'm going to move over. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I think as we move into this section, we talked about this last week, that there is an already not yet reality to what is happening in this passage. And I gave you the example of uh, Solomon, that, that Nathan the prophet prophesied, and, and we know that there are certain things in that prophecy Solomon fulfilled in the immediate future, but also that Jesus ultimately fulfills at the end in his second coming. And I told you about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. That we know the Romans come in and they ransack the temple in 70 AD. And I would see that that is a already not yet fulfillment of some of the things that Jesus is saying. Jesus was telling them here around 30-ish AD, a little after. And he was telling them, hey, this is going to be destroyed. But the reality was it didn't matter anymore because the curtain was torn and he's the temple. Now the people of God are the temple and they don't need the temple anymore. But they were going to destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem. And I believe that Jesus is talking about that. When he talks about these things taking place, he's talking about that destruction of that temple that would happen in 70 AD at the hands of the Romans. And he is telling them when that happens— it's like a fig tree. Know that this is a sign of the end of the age, and the end of the age is soon. And that's what he's saying. Now, it doesn't mean it's immediate, like this is going to happen and Jesus is coming back, bam, because we're all still here. Jesus didn't come back. But I do think he's saying that that's the end of the age that is coming, and I think that's how we can interpret there where he says, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. The generation of people standing there, he's talking about just 40 years later in 70 AD, right? We see similar kind of language at the uh, very beginning of Mark 9 where Jesus talks about there will be some of you here who do not taste death until they see the kingdom of God and, and its power. Well, all those guys are dead now. So he's talking about the second coming. That's awkward. Or he's talking about the very next thing in the passage, which is the transfiguration. And that there is Peter, James, and John are there and they don't taste death until they see the kingdom of God, the Son of Man, transfigured and glorify them in power right before them. I think that's, that seems to be the most easy way to understand this, this kind of difficult language. But there's still a reality of already and not yet. So what is he talking about? And why is he putting this in the middle of talking about his second coming? Is because I think he's saying it is coming soon. And they lived in such a way that they believed that it was coming soon then, in the first century. And we need to live in such a way that Jesus is coming soon now. Jesus is saying that the second coming is near. It's really, really close. It's near, but it's not exact. So like a fig tree in summer, and, and when you see this tree, it would start to bloom, you know, oh, summer must be coming close because fig trees would start to bloom at the end of spring experientially, right, what you're just experiencing in nature, nobody walks around and just says, and summer, right? We just at some point are shooting off fireworks and it's really hot and we say, I don't know, summer happened somewhere between May and June. I'm not really sure in our experience of the weather. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to help them see is it's, it's soon, it's imminent. You're going to feel it like you would feel the change of seasons, but you're not able to put your finger on it of this is when I'm coming back exactly. That's unknown, but it's soon. And that's what Jesus is teaching, which I think then all of us would say, so what in the world 
does that mean for us? Well, I think it's also, in another example, I would say it's like contractions. Earlier he said these things are like birth pains in verse 8 of, of Matthew 13. Contractions are not the baby. But when contractions happen, you know the baby is soon. The baby is close. But, as we would, if we could pull the women in the room, what soon means can mean a lot of different things. There are ladies who start having contractions, and it's like, we are having this baby in the back of this car. You ain't going to make it to the hospital. And there are women who have contractions, and they're in the hospital for days. What is soon? Baby's coming soon once the contractions start. I would say, Jesus is saying, he is coming back, and he is coming soon. The contractions have started. The fig tree has started to spread its leaf. But experientially, we're not going to be able to put our finger on it and say, this is when this is happening. This is when this is going to come. We just know it's happening soon. And in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10, we read this. And I think this is really helpful because it's easy to maybe scoff at that and say, what does that really mean? He says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now remember, Peter is writing this, and we've talked about this before, but the book of Mark is Peter's account of Jesus. So I think it maybe brings us some, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit in both things, but when he's saying, hey, remember that thing that Jesus commanded us? I think we can look back and say, this is the thing that Jesus is commanding them. That the holy prophets, the commandment of the Lord and our Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were since the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. So what is he saying? It's easy, I think, 2,000 years later for me to say something like, hope is coming soon, and Jesus was saying it's coming soon then, to say, really? Is Jesus really coming back soon? Right? That's the scoffer. The scoffer says that. But Peter says, don't listen to them. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Pointing back to Genesis 1 where it talks about Jesus or the, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and then he speaks the world into existence. And that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Talking about the flood. So what happens later in a couple chapters of Genesis, flood happens and God destroys the world. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now existed are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away like a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." So what's the point of the passage? The point of the passage is not to know exactly when Jesus comes back. The point of the passage is to live as if Jesus is coming back. And coming back soon. God 
only relents his coming because he is patient with those who do not yet believe and he is giving them time to repent and turn to him. So what does that mean for us? It means we need to live in such a way that we are ready to meet our maker soon, today. If you are not right with God, this passage is saying, get right with God. Repent of sin. To put it maybe a little more crass, prepare to meet your maker. That's what they are saying. But what a comfort that Jesus tells us. In verse 31 of chapter 13 in the book of Mark. He says, heaven will pass away, but my words will not, and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's a comfort. Peter tells us that the heavens and the heavenly bodies will be dissolved up, consumed by fire. But Jesus is saying, my word will not pass away. His promises to us will not pass away. His promise to return and bring us to himself isn't going anywhere because hope is coming. It is coming soon. And finally, it is coming suddenly. Verse 32 through 37 says this, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard and keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or in the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus is telling them that nobody knows. Not even he knows. Jesus in his humanity has temporarily laid aside certain aspects of deity like knowing everything. God knows all. He's laid that aside for the sake of his coming so that he might die for sin on our behalf. And he's saying not even he knows or the angels in heaven know. So you're not going to figure it out. That's not what this is about. But rather living in such a way that is faithful to Jesus in his return. And then he tells this parable about a man who, who leaves his servants in charge and he goes on a journey and he's expecting and he doesn't tell them exactly when he's coming back. It could be at any time of day, but he is coming back and he says what you don't want to do is be caught asleep, be caught not doing your job, particularly of the doorkeeper who's supposed to be watching, right, and keeping people safe, which is what he told us right in the beginning, that there's these false teachers that are coming, false prophets. So make sure you're watching and waiting and don't get caught sleeping. And that's what Jesus is telling them. I love in the book of Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends into heaven, it tells us this in Acts 1, 10 through 11. And it says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who's taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And I just think like, man, cut these guys a break. They just watch a guy ascend into heaven. Is it really that bad for them just to stand for a moment and be like, whoa, that was really cool. But the angels of heaven are saying, he is coming back. He's coming back soon. He's coming back suddenly. And he gave you a job to do in Acts 1.8, the verses before. Go and be my witnesses in, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go. 
And when these angels look down at him, they say, don't you realize who just gave you that command? Don't you realize who he is and that he is coming back? Don't be caught sleeping. What are you doing wasting your time looking up into heaven? You know where he went. Go do what he told you to do. Now that's extreme and that is urgent and that's what God is saying to us. Don't get caught sleeping. It'd be like if there was a teacher. I stole this from Kindle. I think he stole it from somebody else though. It's like if there was a teacher, right? And, and, And she had to leave her classroom for a little bit and you have some unruly students now that teacher, if, if they have any veteran experience to them, says what? I'm leaving for just a minute, but I'm going to be back. And when I come back, I want you to read this chapter. And when I get done, there's going to be a pop quiz on the chapter. Now, if the teacher says, all right, class, I have to leave for a little bit. And I'm going to be back in 15 minutes. That class is going to go nuts for 14 and a half minutes. Right? That's what they're going to do. And then they're going to look. And they're going to try to clean everything up in 30 seconds, cram for the quiz, and fail the quiz. That's what they're going to do because that's what kids do. Jesus is looking to us and he didn't say, and I'm coming back in this amount of time because he's saying, you have work to do. And he knows our sinful hearts and he knows our tendencies. And if he told us I'm coming back in 15 minutes, we do what we would want for 14 minutes and 30 seconds. And then we try to figure it all out in the last 30 seconds and cram for the exam. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't cram for the end. Prepare today. Be ready to meet your maker. Don't get caught sleeping. That's what he's telling you to do. Because at the end of the age, there is something way more scary than a pop quiz. We stand before a holy God and we give account for our deeds. Now the good news is this. For those of us who are found in Christ Jesus, he will look on you and he will not see your deeds, but he'll see the deeds of Jesus. And you'll be covered in his righteousness forever. And then your good deeds that you do, as we talked about In another sermon a while back, we talked about it will expand your capacity to enjoy God forever. Because joy is limitless. We're not so much. We have a beginning. And so God is expanding in us our ability to enjoy him forever. And that's what you get to do. And that's what you get to look forward to. So I want to encourage you. Prepare to meet your maker. Stay awake. You have a job to do. Take care of the master's house. He's entrusted it to you. Because that's the question we have to answer today. It's simply this. Are you ready? Christian or not Christian, that's the question we have to ask. Are you ready to meet Jesus? In the book of James, it tells us that we're just a vapor. Here one day and gone the next. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Are you right with God? I have never met an older saint who has looked at me and said, you know, I wish I could go back and and not spend so much time reading my Bible, not spend my time in church and prayer and all those things. I've never heard an older Christian say that ever. Every older Christian I have ever met tells me, Josh, it goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. Don't waste today. I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time on X, Y, and Z. I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time tracing at, chasing after these material things. I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much. I wish I would have had more grace. I wish I would have had more compassion. I wish I would have loved people better than what I did. I wish I would have spent more time with Jesus. I would have, wish I would have served my church more. Never have they told me, you know what I wish I would have done? Taken more vacations for just me. They don't say that. 
older saints get to the end of their life, and they always tell me when I get to talk to them, what, what, what does it look like? Man, it goes by fast. It goes by so fast. So take advantage of every moment that you have now and serve the Lord. I was once in a music rehearsal for a worship team, and, and we were talking about it. We called it worship practice, and I, I, I said that, and a friend of mine said, you know, Sunday morning is worship practice too. It's all worship practice. Because one day we will go and be with God in heaven forever. And you know what we're going to be doing the whole time? We're going to be worshiping. That's right. It's all worship practice. And that's what I hope you see your life as. Is that you're preparing to meet your maker and you would see that I don't want to waste time on the things that don't matter, but I want to do the things that matter. Things that are going to leave a mark on this world for the sake of Christ. And that you're not afraid to make those sacrifices because everyone who has been scattered will be gathered unto him. No sacrifice made for Jesus will be regretted on the last day. Not a penny spent, not a time wasted, nothing. You will not regret that, I promise you. But you'll probably regret other things. So that's what we want to do. We're going to go ahead and and I'll, I'll pray and the band will come up, we'll sing. And then when they finish their song, we'll transition into our time of the Lord's Supper. But for now, let's pray and respond to God through song of what it looks like. I'll be at the back as well as others back there. If you need to have a conversation of what it looks like to get right with God, I want to encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, I pray that we would all be willing to be right with Jesus. God, help us desire change. Help us prepare to meet our maker. And Lord, I just pray for this time of singing as we focus our minds to get ready for the Lord's Supper, that we would do that, that we would get right before you. And Lord, if we need to have a conversation or at least initiate a conversation, that we would do that right now today. I ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.